But I hope everybody's doing good. It's been a good day. I don't know if you all have had a good day, but for some reason, I just have a lot of joy today. Uh, it's just been a really good day. Uh, before service, everything went really smoothly for the first time and ever. And so that was really exciting. And it was a day where you could have some fun and you could not worry, right? Because worry is a bad thing. How many of us are worried? A lot, right? Like all of us. You guys got Christmas coming up. You're worried about your credit card bill. You got Christmas coming up. You're worried that you're not going to get what you wanted. You got Christmas coming up, and you might be worried about some serious stuff, like how are you going to buy your kids presents? Like you may be worried about that. You may be having some stress caused by that. You may be wondering how it's going to happen and trusting God or not trusting God, whatever that may look like. Or maybe you got something big going on in your life. You got something that's coming up, and you don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know how God's going to get you through it. And that's causing some anxiety inside of you, some fear. Let's call it what it is, some fear inside of you. But like Sarah said during worship, there's one thing that you can be reminded of is that Christ has a name for you. He calls you his, right? The king of kings loves you, desires you, cares about you. And more than that, cares about every single thing that goes on in your life. Think about that for a minute. God cares when you're scared. God cares when you feel unloved. God cares when you feel lonely. And God cares when you don't trust him. It's okay not to exactly know what's going to happen. And it's okay to talk to God about that. I think for a long time we've been taught that God doesn't want to know when we don't trust. That God, that's not okay not to be exactly the feeling and the emotion that we're experiencing. It's okay to feel that, but it's not okay to be led by that, right? Like, it's okay to feel scared. It's okay to feel fear. God wants to hear about it. He wants to take it. He wants to work on it. And then in the end of it, he wants you to come to the place where you say, this is how I feel, but this is who you are. You're bigger than this. You're bigger than the situation. You're greater than the journey, and you're going to be there at the end, and you're going to fulfill all things. And when we come to the end of journeys, what's the one thing that we always say? Thank God it's over. When you're traveling long distance, thank God it's over. There's a family who was telling me that when they travel like 30 minutes or more, their son throws up. A lot. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I don't know if I can do it. Titus don't throw up. Titus yells and fights you the whole time. But like, he don't throw up. If he was throwing up on me, it's going to be a whole different situation. And I'm going to be praying that whole time. Don't throw up. Don't throw up. You look like you're going to throw up. Put it back in your mouth. Right? <laughs> like, you're like, I just can't wait for this to be over. But what I found out about journeys is that when we come to the end, we're thankful that it's over. But then we forget about the journey. We don't need to forget about the journey. The journey is what grows us. The journey is what forms us. The journey is what makes us who we are. Every single person in here has a journey. You have a life that you've lived with struggles, with praises, with all of these things. But in your journey, you may not be thankful for everything that you've been through. You may not be thankful for the parts of the journey that were sad. But today I want, you, I want to say to you and I want you to feel this half journey have joy in the journey, even when it hurts, even when it's painful, because the journey is making you into something great. Jesus' journey 
made him into the greatest king of kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace. The journey was what put us in salvation. The journey is what gave us redemption. The journey is what gave us reconciliation. Without Jesus' journey, the sacrifice wouldn't have been as big. You're like, you just said the cross isn't as big. Not without the journey. Because if Jesus wanted to live life the way that you live life, if he wanted to experience the temptations that you experience every day, then the journey wouldn't have been as meaningful. Because you would have said, well, God came and he died on the cross, but he never experienced the things that I experienced. Here's how you can have peace, joy, hope, love, all of those things. Because God understands everything that you've been through. Jesus was in the garden when Adam and Eve took of the fruit. He saw it. He experienced the pain of that. Jesus experienced teenage years just as you experienced your teenage years. Jesus was tempted just as you was tempted. But in Jesus' perfection, he rejected the temptation through the power of the Spirit of God. See, God has this amazing thing that he gives to us because of Jesus' death on the cross. It's called the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, we can endure. Through the Holy Spirit, we can know. Through the Holy Spirit, we can have joy. See, because joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on your external circumstances. Joy is based on your internal. Happiness goes away. Joy remains. When you know God, when you feel God, when you know that nothing can take you down, that there's no journey too big for you, that's joy. Happiness is, well, my car broke down. I don't have any happiness. You can have joy even when your car breaks down. Because joy isn't based in you. Joy is based in Christ. And Christ is the same today as he was yesterday. And he's going to be the same tomorrow. And he's going to be the same in a thousand years. Now, earlier Barry talked about the angel of the Lord coming before the shepherds. And it said they were terrified. It said they were terrified. See, this was a journey for them. There's another story of an angel of the Lord coming before a man. And it starts in Judges chapter 6. So turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 is hard to find. Okay, this is an Old Testament. You never read this. You're like, why would I read a book about judges? I don't care about the court system. See, the book of Judges is so interesting because the judges of Scripture are not the judges of the law. Israel was a place that disobeyed God all the time. Sounds a lot like us. And in Israel, when they would reject God, God would have to punish them and put them through some time to think about what they did. And so he would send them into captivity or send them into some kind of time where they just had to think where they had to be. And in the book of Judges, what we find is that every time Israel cries out for their father, no matter the mistakes they've made, no matter the things that they've done, God sends somebody to take care of them. God sends somebody to provide for them. And so the book of Judges is that, God's provision for his people in Israel. Now, when you look at the Judges, and you're going to see in Judges chapter 6 in just a moment, it's nobody anybody would have picked. Nobody was like, there's Deborah. Let's make Deborah a judge. See, Deborah is a judge in the Bible. She was a woman. No man in Israel would step up. So God said, Deborah, go kill it. Right? And Deborah stepped up. And Deborah had an assistant who was supposed to be the man in the group. And one time God told the assistant, hey, go take care of this. And, God, and he said, I'm scared. God said, Deborah with me. You know what Deborah did? She went and she killed it. Because that's what Deborah does. 
That's what judges do. If there's a Deborah in here, man, you need, you need to get a shirt that says, I'm Deborah. <laughs> judges 3. But all throughout Scripture, we see judges. We saw a left-handed judge. Back, back in Israel's time, it was considered a disability to be left-handed. Did y'all know that? Yeah, if you were left-handed, you couldn't use any of the right-handed stuff. So they're like, what's wrong with you? It was like a curse to be left-handed. My wife's left-handed. And so there was a left-handed judge, and they made a big deal about it. Like, there's a judge who's left-handed. And so when he went to go kill the king that had Israel in captivity, they didn't check his left side. He had a knife up in there. See, because they would check the right side because they were like, oh, only right-handed people know how to do stuff. So let's check his right hand, make sure there's nothing, nothing in there. This mother put in his left hand. They didn't know he was left-handed. So when he went up and he set Israel free through killing that king, See, the book of Judges is awesome. That's the book with Samson in it. Samson, the one who took the Nazarene creed not to drink, to abstain from sexual relations, to abstain from touching dead things. You know what Samson did? All those things. Because even though he was a judge, doesn't mean he was a perfect person. And then Samson got his eyes gouged out. Because he continued to fall into the things of the world and he told the secret, cut my hair and I won't have any strength. And they cut his hair. And guess what? It was right. He didn't have any strength. Because that was the last command that God had given him as a Nazarite. And so now we come to Judges chapter 6 with this guy named Gideon. Now Gideon, if you're familiar with the Bible, is called the yellow belly of the Bible. Y'all ever been called a yellow belly? No, you're like, I'm tough. Nobody's going to call me a yellow belly. That's like we're going to go out in the middle of nowhere and at high noon we're going to duel. Right? You know I'm talking about Josh. Want to go duel on Monday? Let's do it. No, I'm just kidding. So, call me a yellow belly. No. So, yellow belly is a term that was used. Some of you in here may know it. It was a term that was used back in the day to say someone's a scaredy cat. Like Deborah's assistant. Or to say somebody's this or somebody's that. It was saying, well, you don't have any gumption. You don't have any bravery. And so, Gideon was called the scaredy cat or the yellow belly of the Bible. And so in Judges chapter 6, we're going to look at this. We're going to start in verse 7, and this is going to be a lot of scripture, so just bear with me. Bear with the Spirit, better way to say it. Uh, so Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 7. And it says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent to them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the land of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in the, whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Remember, they disobey God, even though when God blesses them, they disobey him. And so they have to cry out at some point. And then it says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak. And Orpha. That belonged to Joash, the Abezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Okay, just for a second. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. Want to know why he was threshing wheat in a wine press? Because it was hidden and he was scared of everything. To keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty 
warrior. And he says, pardon me, Lord. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord had abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I am not, am, am I not sending you? He says again, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Am I in the least in the family? The Lord answers, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back to bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon, scared of, the, scared of everything, sitting in here in a wine press, threshing wheat. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, see when it says the angel of the Lord, we see a pre-incarnation of Jesus. And we know this because, first of all, it said the, but a little bit down the ways it says, then the Lord turned to him. This is a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ standing before Gideon. See, the Old Testament's all about Jesus. We just got to look for him. We'll find him because that's who it was written for. And so Jesus comes before Gideon and says, you're going to save Israel. Mighty warrior. And then Gideon does what we do. We start to make excuses. But I am from the tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least of my family, the least of my people. See, the tribe of Manasseh was the smallest tribe in Israel. They were considered the, really, they didn't do much. All throughout scripture, we see that they were always in fear. They were small in number. And so Gideon brings us up again. He says, I am from Manasseh. I can't do it. And then he says, and I'm the least in my family. I can't save Israel. And anyways, how am I supposed to save Israel when God, you abandoned us? See, because you guys have been in times of hardness and you guys have been in times where you don't know what you're going to do. And the pre preconceived notion for us, our preset is to say, God, what are you doing? God, this is what's going on. Now, what am I supposed to do? God, I lost this. Now, what am I supposed to do? God, you took this. Why do you hate me? Why do you abandon me? Why do you keep allowing bad things to only happen to me? That's what Gideon says to him. He says, you've done stuff in the past, but you've abandoned us now. See, because when God is about to call us to something great, all we do is to make excuses of why we can't do it. When God is about to transform us, when God is about to use us, our preset is to say, God, no, you did this. There's no way you're telling me to do that. God, this is who I am. How am I supposed to do it? How am I supposed to make a difference? I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm from Spartanburg, South Carolina. I'm from Calpin, South Carolina. I'm from Clifton, South Carolina. How am I supposed to do anything? You see my family? You see where I come from? They're not educated. They don't have money. My family didn't set me up to succeed. They didn't give me a car when I was 16. How am I supposed to do anything? I don't know anything about scripture. 
I didn't grow up in Sunday school. How am I supposed to share the gospel with somebody when I don't have any of the pre-information? I'm not the smartest. I'm not the strongest. How am I supposed to do it, God? We sound a lot like Gideon. Gideon says, you've abandoned us. You've abandoned us. You let us go. You've left us here to be destroyed. And God said, am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? You think you're going to go alone? Am I not sending you? You read it. You've seen it. Am I not sending you? When I send you, I've already prepared a way for you. Just like last week with Paul on the boat when the storm was sitting. And Paul said, hey, guys, it's okay that the wind's going to kill us. Because here's the kicker in that. We're not going to die. God's already told me. He's already prepared a way for us. He's already got us set up. When we did Advent this morning, we talked about joy. When the angel of the Lord came to the shepherds and they told him a child has been born who will save Israel. God had already prepared a way for Christ. There was nothing that was going to stop that baby from being born in Bethlehem. There was nothing that was going to stop him from growing up. There was no Pharisee. There was no Sadducee. There was no Herod who was going to kill all the firstborn babies to stop Jesus. Because Jesus is greater than anything, any, any way of the world, any plan that man inhabits, any inferiority that you have in yourself, any of that. God is preparing a way for you greater than what you ever imagined. And for Gideon, he was preparing a way. And when God says, am I not going to send you? What does Gideon say? He said, okay, God, pardon me. But will you send me a sign? And I, and I already know the Bible says don't test God, right? Gideon knew that. But Gideon wanted a way out. So he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay this piece of cloth on the ground. And here's what I want you to do, God. Oh, man, Gideon, commanding God right now? Here's what, how many of you command God? Here's what I want you to do, God. I want there to be due everywhere except for right here on this piece of cloth. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll answer your command. But first of all, go destroy all the Baals. Go destroy your altars to the false gods you worship. Go destroy the altars. They're not even my altars. You want me to go knock down other people's idols? Can you imagine that? Go and destroy the idols. That's, that's God saying to Gideon, hey, if somebody worships Allah, go destroy their, go destroy their worship place. Now today that doesn't mean go up in there and knock it all down. Today that means go share the gospel with them. But Gideon goes and he destroys all the Baals. And everybody comes out the next day and they're like, we're going to get Gideon. Gideon did this. Gideon's dad steps up and God protects Gideon. And when he wakes up in the morning, he sees that there is dew everywhere except for on this one piece of cloth. What? There's dew everywhere except for this little square. There is water everywhere except for this little square. And then Gideon's like, well, no, that's not you. That's just random dink. That was not God. He's like, okay, God, here's a harder one. Right? This is kicking with some of y'all. You're like, okay, God, you did this. I said I was going to do it. But let's see if you can do this. 
And Gideon says, okay, here's a hard one, God. Let's see what you got. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make no dew except for on this one piece of cloth. And then Gideon woke up the next morning, and there was dew only on this one piece of cloth. That's where Gideon was like, oh, crap. There's no other way to go. He did it again. He made dew only on this one piece of cloth. That's what God did. And that's where Gideon was like, oh, snap. It just got real. This is about to happen. But God had already prepared a way for Gideon. So even though Gideon was about to go fight an army far greater than his, far greater than his people's, he was ready to go into battle. He was ready for it. He was scared. He had fear. If you got caught into battle, guess what? You're going to have, you're going to be scared. You're going to have a little fear. You're going to wonder what's going to happen. You're going to be thinking, me from the tribe of Manasseh? But God says, it's time. And Gideon says, okay. And he gets an army. And then God says, send half the, send whoever wants to go home, home. What? God, it was looking good. You sent me a whole army. Now you're telling me to let people go home? Let people go home? And he says, do you guys really want to do this? And some people raise their hands like, send them home. And Gideon's sitting there. He's like, okay, this was looking good. But now, God, you're really starting to do something. I don't know what you're about to do. You just sent home half my army. And then God says, here's what I want you to do next. Take them all to get some water. And see how they drink water. And Gideon was like, what? See how they drink water? Don't everybody drink water through the same through their mouth? But he says, see who picks it up with their hand and drinks it, and see who drinks it like a dog, like gets down and just lopping it out with a leg. And Gideon's like, okay, what do you want me to do after that? He's like, whoever drinks it like the dog, send them home. What? More of my army? I was already outnumbered. Now I'm really outnumbered because I got like 200 dudes after we found out a ton of people drink water like dogs. So they sent home. Then Gideon goes to war. And Gideon's standing there. I'm sure he's shaking his boots. I'm sure he's scared. But I'm pretty sure he knows God's already prepared a way. I'm not pretty sure. I'm 100% sure. And so God says another hiccup in the story. Don't fight them. What? Go at nighttime and just blow trumpets. That's, he said just blow trumpets. How are they about to fight with just trumpets? I know some people in here are musicians, but I'm not going to go at somebody with a trumpet if they got a sword. Isn't, isn't there an old saying, don't bring a knife to a gunfight? Yeah, I'm not bringing a knife to a gunfight. I'm not bringing a trumpet to a sword fight. I'm not that fast. And God says, here's what I want you to do. Blow the trumpets really loud. And then hit the cymbals together. <laughs> okay, you prepared a way. You must know what you're doing. And so they do that. And it says the whole army the opposing army went to confusion. And they started killing each other. And then the rest of them just ran away from the trumpets. 
Now, it's interesting, but God was preparing a way. But here's why that caused such confusion. It's because back then, if you heard that many trumpets, there was a ton of people coming. Each trumpet represented something like 10,000 people or something like that. So when they were blowing 200 trumpets, here comes an army. Here comes a major army. We're about to get whooped. This is not even going to be fun. And it's nighttime. And they start blowing those trumpets. And they're thinking hundreds of thousands of people are coming. But really it's just 200. Because God works in ways that give him the most glory and not us. Because if they would have went in there with all those people and they would have won, they'd have been like, look at us. We are the biggest loser. We are the biggest competitor. We are the gladiator. But God says, no, nah, I don't want you to get any credit. I want to receive all the glory for this because you haven't done anything and you've been disobedient. I'm preparing a way for you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to transform this. But I'm going to get all the credit because I'm God and because you're disobedient. See, the story of Gideon is one that is filled with such joy. Because the Israelites get set free through that. The Israelites are able to return to God through that. Now in Judges chapter 7, we see that it didn't last long. But for this moment, they returned to God. They were with God. The story of Gideon is a story of joy. Because we hear that no matter our situation, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, God is ready to use you and God is ready to have you set captives free. No matter how small you are, no matter how ignorant you are, no matter where you're from, God is ready to use you because he chose you. He calls you mighty warrior. He calls you prince and princess. He calls you son and daughter. And no matter the mistakes you've made, no matter the hurt that you've been through, God is ready to use you in a way far greater than you ever imagined. And here's the real deal. If you've been in a bad situation, you've been through a lot of struggles, you've been through a lot of hurt, God wants to use you in a way that you never could have imagined. God wants to use you because that's what's going to show him the most glory. Because all your mess, all your brokenness, all your struggles, all your feelings of worthlessness, he's going to take you and he's going to use you in a way bigger than you ever imagined. And people are going to look and they're going to say, that person could have only done this by the power of God. That person could have only done this by the power of God. There was no way Gideon could have set those people free. There was no way he could have done it unless he had the power of God. Not the power of Bobby, not the power of Jim, not the power of Charles, but the power of God. Not the power of Joni, not the power of Deborah, but the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit, the one true living God, using a person that everybody else had written off as nothing and never going to amount to anything, no potential. How many of you in here felt like you're nothing? How many of you felt like you have no potential? How many of you have been told that? Told you're never going to amount to anything. Told you can't be used. I met with somebody this week. Taylor met with somebody this week, and Taylor came, and he told me the story. And it's a foster kid. He says in his last foster home, a pastor told him that he's never really going to be anything. You know what God's going to do through him? Show the glory of his power and his spirit and use him far greater than everyone ever imagined because God will receive the most glory. 
God will use him to set captives free because nobody else saw it except for God. So often we have our eyes closed to other people because we're so focused on our path. So often we never think that we could have been somebody to change a person's life because we're not good enough. I can't invest in that person. I don't even know what I'm doing. I can't be that person's friend. I'm too busy. I can't give money to that. I ain't got any. But I think when we look at ourselves through the lens of God, through the lens of Gideon, we would see that we are all the people God has chosen to set the captives free. There was nothing special about Moses. Moses is like, God, I'm uneducated. I can't speak. I stumble. Sometimes I got this list going on. Sometimes I fall over my words. And God used him to set the generations of the Israelites free from captivity in Egypt. God used him to change the entire narrative of the world. Mary and Joseph Mary was like 15 years old. She was poor as could be. She didn't have anything. And the angel came to her and said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. Then he went to Joseph and he says, hey, just so you know, something crazy is about to happen. You're going to think your soon-to-be wife is cheating on you. She's going to get pregnant. And here's what I want you to do. Don't leave. Joseph, a man, a prideful man who says, well, can I really believe that God is doing this with me? Am I really going to stick with a woman who's pregnant by the Holy Spirit? But because he trusted God, he followed the path that God had already created. He trusted him and he walked in that path. And because Mary and Joseph walked in that path, the Savior of the world was born because they wouldn't believe the things they've been told about themselves. They wouldn't believe that they were worthless. They wouldn't believe that they couldn't be used. They wouldn't believe that God would choose somebody and not follow through with the choosing. But God followed through. You have a narrative, you have a story, you're on a journey, and God wants to use you to set captives free. Understand what that means. God wants to use you to change people's lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to use you in your workplace to set captives free. God wants to use you in your family to set captives free. God wants to use you at the grocery store to set captives free. God wants to use you to defeat sex trafficking in Spartanburg. God wants to use you to set kids free from environments where they feel like they have nowhere to go. God wants to use you in the foster system to take in a kid and to love them well. God wants to use you in the community as a business owner, as a business leader to set people free. God wants to use you because you understand what it's like to be set free. You've been set free. Some of you in here haven't been set free, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Because today, I want to be the one that God chose to set you free. Because a relationship with Jesus will set you free. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you've been hurt. I want to hear about that. I want to love you through it. But it doesn't matter about that. What matters is all of your past has paved the way for your purpose. Everything that's happened on your journey is to bring you to this 
this moment where you're set free from that captivity of the world. I'm about to get emotional right now because I don't care who you are. I don't care if your background. I don't care how much you think you know Jesus. If you don't have a relationship, then let me set you free today through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have a relationship, then get set free. If you're not ready to serve God, then get set free. If you're not ready to change lives and set the captives free, then have you set free today. Because if you're just sitting here thinking that you can just keep being a Christian and not set anybody free, I got news for you. Jesus is going to come and you're going to say, Father, Father. And he's going to say, my blood apart from me because I never knew you. Think about that. There's so many people who think they know Jesus, but they don't know the first thing about Jesus. They don't know the difference between a, a water faucet and a lake. was used to set Israel free. Moses was used to set Israel free. Paul was used to set the Gentiles free. Every person in the scripture was used was somebody you never would have picked. When we started this church, I had a core team of 12 people, all women except for two. And I said, here's the deal. I said, God gave you this team because I never would have chose you. But God's going to receive glory in a way that I can't understand. And I don't even know how it's going to happen. But God's going to use you. Because if I would have used 12 of their pastors, if I would have used 12 of the best people in the Christian world, then God would have received no glory because it would have made sense. But God wants to use you because it doesn't make sense. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. We live in a world that's perishing and God has chosen us. To go to be to be the ones to set the captives free. Because he says to you, mighty warrior. He says to you, son and daughter. When you're sitting here and all your life feels is running through your head and you're thinking of all the reasons why this isn't for you. You're thinking of all the reasons why you couldn't enter into a relationship with Jesus right now. You're thinking of all the reasons why you couldn't be used. You're thinking of all the time restrictions, all the financial restrictions. Here's what God's saying to you. Quit being you and get into me. Quit relying on you and start relying on me. Because I promise you, you can hustle as hard as you want. But you're never going to get anywhere. You might get a big bank account. You might get a big house. But guess what? I know a dude named Joe had a big bank account, had a big house. God wants to use you to transform you to set the captives free. Are you guys ready to set captives free today? Are you guys ready to go into the world and show it that it doesn't matter the mistakes they made? It doesn't matter the inequity that they feel. It doesn't matter the unworthlessness that they feel. All that matters is Christ made them worthy when he came from heaven and he died on a cross meant for a criminal. He died for your sin, your brokenness, and the mistakes that you made. And he doesn't bring them back up. You're never going to be sitting with God and God be like, remember that one time you did this? I know some of y'all are married in here and every once in a while you're like, remember that time I helped you with this because you couldn't do it? Remember that time you left the banana peel in the seat? Remember that time you left your socks on the floor? Remember that time you wrecked the car? That was funny, right? Like, you're saying all these things, you're bringing all these things up. God doesn't do that because once Jesus died on the cross, everything is gone. Once Jesus died on the cross, all your sins wiped away. Once Jesus died on the cross, you weren't called, but you were called in high school. You weren't called by your mistake any longer. You weren't called by your brokenness. Some of y'all in here, you've been called some real bad names. 
Some of you in here, you've been defined by a decision you made. Some of you in here, you've been called stupid. You, someone's told you that you're never going to amount to anything. But Christ looks at you, Christ sees you, and Christ calls you son and daughter. He looks at you and he takes a step back and he says, this is the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my life. This is something that I want to use. This is something that I choose. This is something that's greater than their mistakes. Something that's greater than the names they've been called. You're greater. And if you've got a relationship with Jesus, today's the day you step up. But if you're sitting here and this is not resonating, if you're sitting here and you're feeling uncomfortableness in your heart, you're sitting here and you're tired of playing church and you're ready for a relationship with Jesus, then today's the day to do that. Hey, here's the deal. Our baptism got canceled today because the dude couldn't get out of rehab because coronavirus. I don't believe this got filled up for no reason. I think there's someone in here right now today who needs baptized. I know who it is. I'm just not going to tell them because I'm not going to get into that. He just laughed. But today's the day of transformation. You want to see a movement? Let's start it with us. Jesus came and died on the cross for you. He loves you. He desires you. He doesn't see your brokenness. He doesn't see your mistakes. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. And when he looks at you, all he sees is forgiveness and redemption. He doesn't see your education level. He doesn't see the people you've lost. He cares about those things, but he doesn't see those things. He doesn't see the mistakes you made. He doesn't see the way you've been hurt. He sees his son, Jesus Christ, calling you onto his heart so that one day when he returns, you'll be set free from the world, from the captivity, from the struggles, from the, from the worse worthlessness that you feel, from the names that you've been called. Jesus wants to set you free. Bow your heads and pray with me.